So turn in your Bibles this morning. Revelation chapter 6 is where we're going to be this morning. The message is entitled, The Opening of the Seals. And so we're going to get back into the book of Revelation. It's been a minute since we've been here. And so as you're turning there, uh, let me give you some reminders and just some review of where we've been in the book of Revelation. If you, if you have notes this morning, if you're in the room, you have notes that are two-sided. Did you guys get notes this morning? We got, okay. Cody's looking for notes, so if you, if you want to sell Cody your notes, I'm sure he'll pay $20 minimum. Connor, make him pay up after service. I'm just telling you, man, like don't, that's not a freebie, all right? And so, and so let me give us some review, because it's been a minute since we've been in Revelation. Most of you will realize, okay, I remember this, but it's like knocking the, 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 the rust off here for a second. Revelation chapter 1 really sets the context for where John is and his position when he's receiving this revelation. Revelation 1, verses 9 through 11, we'll read a couple of verses. It says, I, John, also, who am also your, your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. Here it is, verse 10. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And if that verse isn't underlined in your Bible, you need to underline it, you need to highlight it, your asterisk beside it, because that helps you understand where John is when he receives this revelation from Jesus Christ himself. And so in your, in your notes and on the screen, John's location regarding the book of Revelation tells us that he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. He had a unique location. Now physically, we know that he was on the Isle of Patmos, right? He had been imprisoned, he had been banished, uh, he had been persecuted for his testimony and for the Word of God. So physically... He's in the Aegean Sea. That's where he's at. And, and historically, we're looking at 90 to 100 AD. That's his physical address. But listen, spiritually, his address concerning this revelation, he was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And, and listen, that is so critically important. And I, and I know I'm, I'm talking to people that have probably heard this, and you're like, okay, get on to it. But listen, listen if you don't get that right, if you don't get his location right in the book of Revelation, you aren't going to get anything else right because it is the point of reference that we have to understand. And so God moved him forward in time to the Lord's day. And, and, and you know, again, it's not unpopular for people to read that and say, well, the Lord's day is just Sunday. So that's the day that he wrote these things. And listen, you know, whatever. The Lord's day in the Bible is very unique. It's very specific. It, it, it's the day of the Lord. It is the Lord's day. And that phrase, that term in the Bible is always connected to Christ's second coming, to, to Christ's second advent. And, and many times in the Bible, it can cover the period from the rapture of the church to the second coming of Christ. There's a span of time, and again, it depends on the context, but, but as you look at that phrase in the Bible, the Lord's day is the day of the Lord. And again, rapture to revelation, there's, there's things that are connected there. Okay, and as we study the Bible, man, listen, that is really the whole theme of the Bible. The theme of the Bible is just Christ's kingdom glory. It's the second coming of Christ. 
It's when Christ gets the kingdom and the glory and the power and the honor that he's due. And he's not getting that right now. But one day he will. That's what everything in the Bible points to. And I, I had this conversation, I think it was this week, we were discipling, Chris and I were discipling, we we're talking about, man, just, just being good stewards of God's word. If you're not careful, you'll come to the Bible, and, and we even sang about it this morning, and you'll look, look at the Bible through the lens of salvation only. Like everything about the Bible is just about my salvation or our salvation, and, and no offense, that sounds good. Until you think about it. And then when you think about it, it's like, man, that's mighty selfish of us. God gave us a whole Bible, and it's all about us and our salvation and what we... Give me a break. No offense, man. And we think more of ourselves than we should many times. And, and, and so listen, as much as God has done for us in the area of salvation, that is a sliver of what the entire Bible is about. There's so much more. It's about Christ's kingdom glory. It's about the day of the Lord. And, and can I just tell you, the day that Christ hang, hung on that cross and he died for our sin, listen, that, that, for you and I, that's an important day for sure. But can I just tell you, that's not the greatest day on God's calendar. It was necessary to bridge the gap between our sin and God's righteousness. It was necessary, but don't think for a second that that's the shining moment and all of God's history, that's just one part that, that reconciled us back to him. The, the greatest moment, the greatest day is when Christ receives the kingdom that he's worthy of. And so this thing of the day of the Lord points to that coming kingdom. And, and man, I got a ton of references and I'm looking at the time and so we need to, we need to go. But, but understand that John's location concerning the revelation gives us the unique perspective of what we need to see. Doctrinally, in, in the book of Revelation, there are two places in Revelation itself where heaven opens. The Bible tells us that heaven opens. Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, it tells us, after this, I looked and behold, a door was opened in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was, a, was it were a, a, the voice of a trumpet talking with me, which said, come up hither and I will show thee things that must be hereafter. And then in Revelation 19 and verse 11, it says, I saw heaven opened and behold, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he, he doth judge and make war. And so, and so John is, is on the day of the Lord in the book of Revelation. Heaven opens two different times. In Revelation 4 and verse 1, heaven opens and someone goes up, and that would be John. And then in Revelation 19, heaven opens and someone comes down riding a white horse. And, and if you read Revelation 19, there's no doubt that is the Lord Jesus Christ returning to establish his kingdom and execute judgment. And so, and so from John's perspective, this is all review. From John's standpoint, the day of the Lord divides the book of Revelation into three parts. And that opening of heaven divides the book into three parts. Revelation chapters 1, 2, and 3 give us the past. Because from John's perspective, as he looks backwards, he's seeing all of church history historically, or, 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 or he's seeing a snapshot, an overview of all of church history. But then Revelation chapter 4 verses, through chapter 19, John gives us an understanding of the tribulation period and the second coming of Christ. And you see that in chapters 4 through 19. And, and we're, we've already gotten 
uh, a few chapters into that, especially this morning. We'll really begin the deep dive this morning. And then you have Revelation 20 through chapter 22, and that shows us the future with the millennium, the thousand-year reign of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth. And so all of this is a review. Does this sound familiar? Are you guys like, I've never heard this? Because we've only been like 38 messages in the book of Revelation. So if you've never heard it, uh, you're like ODing on donuts or something in the, in, the, in the room. I don't know what's going on. So, so we got through those seven churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3. And then in chapter 4 and 5, when John was caught up, and here's the key in your notes, we learned what was being described was being described in heaven. Revelation chapter 4 and 5 describe what's happening in the third heaven. And we mapped that thing out of, of where John is. He's before the throne. And so Revelation chapter 4, again in your notes, Revelation 4 gives us the scene before the very throne of God. This is in the third heaven. And what we said in Revelation chapter 4 was that everything that's described is described in relation to that throne. It is it is the central focus of Revelation chapter 4. By the way, that throne is the central focus of all of creation for that record. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's all about the throne. And, and again, even when you come to the Word of God, if you don't have that perspective, you don't have a full understanding of what the Bible really is all about. And, and so listen, everything that's mentioned in Revelation chapter 4 is mentioned in its relation to the throne. The Bible says in Revelation 4 that there was one that sat on the throne. Then round about the throne, there were 24 elders. And again, their, their, their characteristics are defined by their relationship to the throne. They're round about the throne. And then the Bible says in Revelation 4 that out of the throne, there came lightnings and thunderings and voices. And then before the throne, there was a sea of glass. And around the throne, there were four beasts. And that throne... It's the center of everything. It's the center of creation. It's the center of purpose. It's the center of worship. It is the central place in which everything else has to be pointed and directed. And truthfully, your life and my life even has to be looked through the lens of its relationship to the throne. We learn that. Man, it's before the throne. And so that was Revelation chapter 4. And in Revelation 5... As John is in the third heaven, man, there's a search for one who is worthy to open a book. And, and we saw this in Revelation 5, but let me just read the passage. You got a Bible, look at it. Revelation 5, verses 1 to 5. It says, I saw in the right hand of him that sat on the throne a book written within and on the backside, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who is worthy? to open the book and to loosen the seals thereof. And listen, search went out creation-wide. Who can open this book? And no man in heaven nor in earth, neither under the earth, was able to open the book, neither to look thereupon. And John says, I wept much because no man was found worthy to open and to read the book, neither to look thereupon. And one of the elders saith unto me, Weep not, behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David hath prevailed to open the book and to loose the seven seals. And by the way, further in Revelation 5, Christ is also called the lamb that was slain. And so in Revelation 5, there's this seven sealed book 
that all of creation is interested in, and no one's worthy to open. And so search goes out, and man, they searched in heaven and in earth and in under the earth, and no man was worthy, and then there stood one that was worthy, the Lamb, the, the, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, man, the Root of David, and because he prevailed, he is worthy to open the book. Now, that's really important for us, because as we get into Revelation chapter 6, that seven-sealed book begins to be opened. And it begins to be opened by the only one who's worthy to open it, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, and so Revelation 4 puts us before the throne. Revelation 5 is the search for one who's worthy. And in Revelation chapter 6, as these seals begin to be opened, and here's your note, it describes what is happening on the earth as these seals are opened. And, and, and we kind of when we were in Revelation 5, we asked the question, well, what is that book, man? Like, and everybody has a perspective and a thought on what that book is. Well, all you have to do is read Revelation chapter 6, and as those seals begin to open, things begin to happen, not in heaven, but on earth. As a matter of fact, it's, it's God's judgment on the earth. It's the thing that has to happen before Christ can receive the kingdom. And so I want you to understand, and so look in your Bible, I don't have these references on the screen, but look in your Bible, Revelation 6 and verse 4, there went out another horse that was red, power was given to him that sat there upon to take peace from the earth. So this has everything to do with the earth. Look at verse 8, I looked and behold a pale horse and his name that sat upon him was death and hell followed with him and power was given unto them over the fourth part of the what? of the earth to kill with the sword and hunger and death and with the beast of the earth. Look at verse 10. They cry with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the what? Man, here's a group of people that got martyred for their walk with God, for their testimony, and they're asking God, hey, the dudes that did this are on the earth. When are you going to judge them? Look at verse 12, I beheld, he opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, not a heaven quake, it was an earthquake, and you too can be a pastor if you can just recognize the word earth in the Bible. Look at verse 13, it says, the stars of heaven fell unto the earth. Verse, verse 15, it says, the kings of the earth, man, and all these other dudes, man, they hid themselves in the dens and the rocks of the mountain because... God's judgment is being poured out. And so, and so what we find in Revelation chapter 6, and, and this is all just introductory this morning, but what we find in this passage is nothing other than the unfolding of what's been prophesied all through the Bible, the tribulation period, or, or what, what Daniel chapter 12 and verse 1 calls a time of trouble, it's, it's the time of trouble on this earth. In Jeremiah chapter 30 and verses 7 through 9, it's called the time of Jacob's trouble. And, and Jacob is Israel. And, and so God is dealing with a very unique people group during this time. In Matthew 24 and verse 21, it's called the great tribulation. And, and so again, we need to know what we're getting into because in Revelation chapter 6, as these seals begin to be open, 
And God is fulfilling prophecy. He's doing what he said he's going to do. And, and again, those references, I know I hit them quick. And, and man, Daniel 12, verse 1, Jeremiah 30, verses 7 through 9, Matthew 24 and verse 21. Man, we see the tribulation period beginning to be unfolded. And man, it's rough on this earth. And, and, and listen, the next couple of weeks, as we go through Revelation chapter 6, and you literally understand if the Bible is true, what's happening on this earth, it might not be uncommon to say, well, why does, that, why does all that bad stuff have to happen? Like, why would God do that, right? God's a God of love. Like, why would God pour out His wrath and His judgment on the earth and sinful man? Well, listen, number one, and I say it like this, why do those seals have to be opened? Well, well, they have to be opened because God said so. And, and listen, they have to be opened because Christ is worthy to open them. The God-man, the sinless Son of God, the man who bore our sin, he's worthy to open those seals. He's worthy to open those seals and to execute righteous judgment and listen, and in Revelation chapter 11 and verse 15, listen, ultimately, the kingdoms of this earth are going to become the kingdoms of our Lord and His Christ. Revelation 11 and verse 15, can you, can you turn there? It's not on the screen, just, just turn there. I hope you brought a Bible, man. Bring your Bible to church, for the record. Like, I'm, I'm thankful you have mobile devices and, and whatnot, and maybe you're tr- tracking with the notes on the mobile device. Bring a Bible because God's going to give you something you need to highlight, mark, underline. Some of these passages are powerful. Look at They're all powerful. Look at Revelation 11, verse 15. The seventh angel sounded, and so there, there were great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdom of, of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. That is the point. That's the point of the whole book. That is the point of everything. It's about rulership, reigning. It's about authority. It's about a kingdom. Well, what about me and my salvation? Yeah, yeah, you you got a small sliver. And the bigger story of God's kingdom that has everything to do with getting Christ on the throne of his glory so that the kingdoms of this world Becoming the kingdoms of our God and of His Christ. Okay, and so, and so let's look at Revelation chapter 6 with that review. Let me, let me pray for us. We'll look at Revelation 6. We've got a few minutes left and we'll, we'll get into it. Father, we need you this morning. I pray that you, you teach us, God, even as we begin uh, the study of these seven seals. Lord, give us wisdom. Uh, and as this time period unfolds on this earth, Lord, make us understand the severity of it. Make us motivated, Father, uh, to be about your business. Lord, your son is worthy to receive all glory and honor and power and to receive the kingdom. So, Lord, as we read through these things, and and maybe they're hard to hear, uh, Lord, help us to understand these are the things that need to happen to position Christ on his throne. And so, God, we love you, and we give you this time, and we ask your Holy Spirit to teach us. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. Revelation chapter 6, verse 1. All right, so we're still, John is still in the third heaven. Look at verse 1. John says, I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder, and one of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw and beheld, uh, behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given unto him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. 
And so as we, as we begin Revelation chapter 6, we're going to see that these seals begin to be opened, and at least the first four seals have, each of them have, a, a, an individual on a horse associated with them, right? Many times called the four horsemen, right, of, of the apocalypse. You know, if you're an old wrestling fan, I think there's some, I know, man, I, if you're a wrestling fan, the four horsemen mean something totally different. And I, and I was wondering if Hedden was in here this morning. And so, you know, you, you probably could name all four of the four horsemen, couldn't you? Don't do it right now, though. So I, if, if you want to know the secular four horsemen, see, see Hedden after, after church. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about those four horsemen. Was Arn Anderson one of those dudes? That's right. That's what I'm talking about. Look, Corey Carter. See, listen. You jokers, man, know wrestling. You better know the Bible. That's all I know. <laughs> you better know this book. So each of these first four seals, right, there's, there's a horse and a horseman associated. And, and there's something unique about each one of them. And so as we get into this text this morning, number one, the invitation from the beast, right? Verse one, John, John gets this invitation to come and see this seal being opened and what happens on the earth when it's opened, okay? And so there's this invitation from one of the four beasts, and, and there's a noise associated with this invitation. The Bible says it's the noise of thunder. And, and listen, if you've studied the Bible, if you've done your due diligence, many times in the Bible, thunder is connected to God's voice, and, and there's a ton of references that support that, Right? Uh, there's even this story in John chapter 12 where, 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 where Jesus Christ is talking to his father and he's, he's basically asking the Lord to deliver him from the cross, right? And, and in John chapter 12, verse 28, it, he's praying to, to God the Father and he says, Father, glorify thy name. And the Bible says, there came a voice from heaven saying, I have both glorified it and will glorify it again. Verse 29, the people therefore that stood by heard it and said, it thundered. And others said an angel spake to him. So when God speaks many times in the Bible, it's connected to thunder. 2 Samuel 22, verse 14, the Lord thundered from heaven and the Most High uttered his voice. But listen, as much as thunder is connected with God's voice, this noise of thunder didn't come from God. This came from one of the four beasts. And when that beast spoke to John, John says it was like the noise of thunder. Now, let me just take you back to Revelation 4 real quick, because we met these beasts several weeks ago in Revelation chapter 4, and, and God gives us some more information if you paid attention in Revelation 4. These beasts are unique. Look at verse 6. Before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal. In the midst of the throne, round about the throne, were four beasts, full of eyes before and behind. Listen, and the first beast was like a what? A lion. The second beast was like a calf. Third beast had the face of a man. The fourth beast was like a flying eagle. And so this first beast announces this first seal. And that beast is as or like a lion. Now, how many of you have, have been on the African safari and actually got to see the lions and got to hear the lions? Man, listen, when that lion roars, bro, it is significant. There's no other sound like it. There truly is no other. It's almost like, how does that sound come out of that animal? 
It is, it is thunderous. It has a roar about it. It really feels like it even shakes you as you hear it. And so listen, this beast is speaking to John. And, and when he speaks, John hears it as the noise of thunder. And that's the noise. And then he gives him a notice. And that's the second blank in your notes. The notice given with the invitation. And the notice is to John from this lion, from this beast. Come and see. Come and see. And what's interesting is John is seeing this from the third heaven. But what's happening when the seal is opened is where? Is it in heaven or earth? It's on the earth. And so again, man, listen, John was caught up in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1. He was, he was taken up. He was, quote unquote, if you, if you will allow me the liberty, he was raptured up. And now he's able to see from heaven what's happening on the earth. And, and again, man, I don't know how else to say it is that, that John wasn't a part of what was happening on the earth. He was separated from it. He was protected from it. And and God tells us in His Word over and over that the church of Jesus Christ, the saints of God, are not appointed to wrath. We're not appointed to wrath. And as God pours His wrath out on this earth, well, well, John sees it, but he's not a part of it. He's not there. I'm not saying that's a proof text for the rapture of the church, but I am saying it is interesting that John, who is a type or picture of the beloved and he's not on the earth when it's happening. He's not getting it from that vantage point. He's getting it from the third heaven, where he is on the day of the Lord. And so, and so this notice, this notification is, is to John, listen, come and see, all right? And so the seal is opened. And we learned a couple of weeks ago that it's the lamb that's opening these seals because he alone is worthy. And then point number two in your notes is this. We want to look at the mistaken identity of the rider of this white horse. The mistaken identity. Because in, in Revelation 6 and verse 2, it says, I saw and behold a white horse, and he that sat on him had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went forth conquering and to conquer. And listen, a lot of people, man, when they get to Revelation 6 and they see white horse, they immediately say, that's got to be who? Jesus Christ. Because there's only one dude in the Bible that rides a white horse, man. It's Jesus. And he does ride a white horse. The problem is, and listen, we're not going to do this drill this morning. Pastor Mark used to do this. But like, if you have a Bible that has built-in cross-references, if you go to Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, and you have a cross-reference to Revelation 19, verse 11 in your Bible... What that means is whoever put that cross-reference in your Bible wants you to think that, that the rider of the white horse in Revelation 6 is the same rider of the white horse in Revelation 19. They want you to think it's Jesus Christ. Now, let's look at Revelation 19 and, and verse 11. We're going to look at the similarities and then we're going to look at the differences, right? The Bible says, I saw heaven open, behold, a, a white horse, and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true, and in righteousness he does judge and make war. That is Christ. And as we work through Revelation 19, man, he has a sword, his garment is covered in blood. Listen, all the different things uh, that, that connect that imagery to Christ. There is no doubt the writer in Revelation 19 is Jesus Christ. The problem is that if you get the identity of the white horse rider in Revelation 6 wrong, you ascribe 
certain characteristics to him that aren't true, and it actually affects the way you do ministry. And I'm going to prove that. So, so let's start by just looking at the differences. And, and so here's, the, here's a few list of differences. This isn't all inclusive, but the writer in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2 has a bow. His, his instrument of war is a bow. But as you read Revelation chapter 19 concerning Christ, he has a sword. A sharp two-edged sword, right? In Revelation chapter 6, the rider of this white horse is wearing a single crown. And as a matter of fact, it says that that crown was given unto him. And we'll talk about maybe who gave him that crown. But in Revelation 19, the rider of the white horse, Jesus Christ, has many crowns. And as a matter of fact, in Revelation 19, it says he's the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. Okay, so he has all authority. In Revelation 6 and verse 2, and again, as we work through Revelation 6, we see after this white horse, there's a pale horse, and and that pale horse is followed by death, hell, and famine. And so this white horse has things that follow him, but what follows him is death, hell, and famine. But again, Revelation 19, when you read about Jesus Christ riding on that white horse, coming back to this earth, it says that he's followed by the armies of God. And and so that's different. In Revelation 6 and verse 2, this rider of this horse is unnamed. He he doesn't have his name mentioned in Revelation chapter 6 and verse 2. But but can I tell you, in Revelation 19, man, the rider is called faithful and true. His name is revealed. And so listen, if you get this guy's identity wrong, there's so many different things that get messed up. And And so here's the key in your notes. A misunderstanding of his identity and and his being the the writer in Revelation 6. A misunderstanding of his identity leads to a misunderstanding of ministry. And again, man, I want to be courteous, but, but I also want to be inclusive in the sense that, listen, if you think Jesus Christ is the white horse rider in Revelation chapter 6, then you think the way that Christ is going to do ministry is by conquering this earth. And and, and listen, there are people that view the lens of ministry that we are to accomplish through a political, social reform agenda. In other words, there are people, and and here's the error, let me give you the blank because this is not a short word. There are people that believe in a post-millennial return of Jesus Christ. What that means is, that God is going to establish His kingdom through the church, and as the church gets the world straightened out through crusades, through changing culture, through, through Christians' involvement in government, through unity, rather than being divided over doctrine, then the Lord Jesus Christ will return and establish His kingdom. In other words, if you hold a post-millennial view concerning end times, you believe that the world is going to become better and better and better so that ultimately Christ can return. Does that that make sense? We conquer the world through government, through culture, through policy, through social reform, and all these different things. Once everything becomes Christianized, then Christ will return. And listen, post-millennialists do believe in a literal return of Christ 
but they don't necessarily believe it comes after a thousand years. In other words, the whole thousand-year reign of Christ is just, it's just symbolic. It's not literal. They don't interpret unfulfilled prophecy in the Bible using a literal understanding of Scripture. They don't believe Revelation 20, for instance, verses 4 to 6, should be taken literally. They just believe that a thousand years means a long period of time. And once we as Christians and we as the church fix everything, then Christ can return. Now, here's the problem. If we have that understanding, and, and if we believe that in Revelation 6 and verse 2, that that's Jesus Christ, then we're going to seek to overcome the dysfunction in this world. We're going to focus on issues like poverty, social justice, hunger, peace on earth, peace in the Middle East. And all of those things will become the focus of our ministry. We will focus on social reform and social gospels that are rooted, well, they're rooted in, in changing a culture to change the world. And listen, can I just tell you that all of that comes from a misunderstanding of who this writer is. It's not the church's job to go forth and conquer and conquering. But man, you can study history, and there are many religious movements rooted in that philosophy of ministry. So, so listen, is helping people with fresh water a bad thing? I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's not the mission that we're called to. Ending world poverty is not the mission that we're called to. Fixing the world's governments is not the mission that we're called to. Listen, and you had better understand the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven in your Bible. Listen, you had better understand that there is a literal, physical, governmental part of the kingdom that started in the Old Testament, established through the nation of Israel, and ultimately will be fulfilled in Christ, ruling and reigning on this earth. But man, there is a kingdom of God emphasis right now in the church age, and it's spiritual and it's all about righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. So, so, so people, again, man, if, if you've got a Bible that has Revelation 6, verse 2, reference to Revelation 19, uh, that may be a good challenge to you to not necessarily trust your, your built-in cross-references. You need to study to show yourself approved unto God. And that is not Jesus Christ in Revelation chapter 6, verse 2. And listen, we'll get to who it is in just a second, but just know that if, if the ministry of the church is to conquer through crusades and, and, and cultural conversion and all these different things, then, then ministry is going to be focused on social reform. And that's not what we're called to do. So, so that's the first error. The second error is an, also a long word. I'll give you the blank. Is this, the second error that, that modern Christians fall into is this view of amillennialism, which means that, okay, all the preceding things are true, but then amillennialists also, also hold the, the reality or the understanding that Christ's reign during the millennium, the thousand-year reign, Revelation chapter 20, is only spiritual in nature. In other words, it doesn't even really happen. We're ruling and reigning right now. Christ is ruling and reigning right now, and he's establishes establishing his kingdom through conquering and conquest, and he doesn't ever literally reign on this earth. He does it through his church. 
and, and then there's, you know, the new heaven and the new earth after God's judgment. And so both are errors because of a wrong division of Scripture. And so listen, if we don't understand this, and if churches don't understand this, we won't have a clue how to do ministry and what ministry to do. In other words, again, man, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but listen, if you call painting orphanages and digging wells ministry and feeding the hungry ministry and medical missions ministry, and listen, all those things are, are needful, but all you're doing is advancing a physical aspect of the kingdom. And any of those things without the preaching of the gospel, the making of disciples, and the planting of local New Testament churches, well, well, well it's not the ministry we're called to. And don't we feel good about those things? Man, listen, let's, plant a, let's punch a well in, in Africa, right? Let, and again, man, there are times and places where that is needful, but can I just tell you, man, if we don't understand this, we will call things ministry that aren't truly ministry. They're not the New Testament church's responsibility because we're not going to make the world. And by the way, if the church, the church is making the world better, we're doing a pretty horrible job. I don't know if you've read the news. <laughs> like, I wouldn't trust us to make anything better based on our record. Seriously. Like, that's just not true. And, and I'm not saying you, you prove it out by the evidence. You prove it out according to the Word of God, right? You prove it out that, man, that's not even what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel, make disciples, plant churches, and trust God to expand the spiritual kingdom of God. And I don't know if I have these references. Uh, do I have Romans 14 and verse 17? I probably don't. Tony says no. Let me just give it to you. Uh, Romans 14 and verse 17 says that the kingdom of God is not meat and drink. It's not physical, but it's righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. Luke 17 and verse 21, Christ says, Neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The kingdom of God is spiritual. You can't drop a, a, a Google pin to say, Here are the coordinates for the kingdom of God. Now, you'll be able to do that with the kingdom of heaven, by the way. And just go ahead and drop a pin in Jerusalem, and that'll get you started. But man, listen, you're not going to do that with the kingdom of God because it's a spiritual kingdom. And because of that, we have to do spiritual ministry. We have to do spiritual ministry. And so listen, the, the, the identity of that dude in, in, in Revelation chapter 6, if we're not careful, we'll get him wrong. And I don't want to be the guy that just lists all the organizations and denominations that get it wrong. But it's most. It's almost all. And the reason why is because their ministry is focused on kingdom building and culture changing through social reform. That's not what we're called to do. We're called to, to preach the blood of Jesus Christ. The blood applied to become a follower of Christ, to plant local New Testament churches, and to see Christ glorified through His body, the church. That's what we're called to do. Okay, so, th so then that gets us to point number three. Listen, the true identity of the rider of this white horse, man. Okay, verse two, I saw, behold, a white horse. He that sat on him had a bow. Crown was given to him. He went forth conquering and to conquer. This is nothing more, and this is your blank, this is nothing more than a false Christ. You could call him anti 
Christ. He is the very counterfeit of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, that's how Satan operates. He likes to counterfeit Christ. He likes to be so much like Christ that without a biblical worldview, you will never see him working. He'll look religious. He'll look spiritual. But he won't be biblical. And he won't be scriptural. And if you can't discern, church, the difference between religious and spiritual and biblical and scriptural, you're in a bad spot. Because everything will carry the name of Jesus. Everything will carry the name of religion. We're doing a good work for God. The only problem is God doesn't want you to do a good work for Him. He wants you to do the work of the ministry. And it's the ministry of reconciliation. And so quit, quit calling everything done in Jesus' name ministry. If it doesn't have a connection to preaching the gospel, making disciples, and planting churches, prove to me how that's ministry. You can't. You can't. You won't. And so this identity of this writer, man, he's a false Christ who has been unleashed to now... To now conquer this earth. And listen. By, by the way, the only similarity that this person has to the true Christ is the fact they're both on white horses. And we, we looked at the list and every other piece of, of information tells us that man, they, the coming looks similar, but the substance is so different. And so get it real quick. Number one, he has a bow. This dude has a bow. There's no mention of arrows, but he has a bow. By the way, people aren't killed by bows. If you're any bow hunters in the house, you guys bow hunt. Okay, so if you are a bow hunter and you go out into the woods and you're going to, you know, climb up in a tree in the freezing cold, in the dark, number one, you're weird. Okay, let's just settle the issue right now. Number two, if you're a bow hunter, you're even more weird because, man, listen, you can't, you can't, you just can't get over a gun. All right, I'm just, you know. I mean, if you want to do some damage, get a gun. All right, whatever. If you, if you want to help the little deer out and, you know, help, whatever, get a bow, that's fine. But if you climb in that tree stand with a bow and no arrows, well, bro, you're coming home hungry, man. I mean, you just wasted your time. You should have just come met me for coffee and we'd have a donut. I mean, nothing is going to happen. And so this dude has a bow, man, but he has no arrows. I mean, it's like a gun with no bullets. You're just taking a long walk. So what's interesting about this false Christ, this Antichrist, he comes with a threat of war, but he doesn't have to use it. He doesn't have to use it. He takes power by peace and not by force. And let me give you some, some references. Daniel 11 and verse 21. And again, all these references in Daniel, they're, they're pointing to the Antichrist. And so check this out. Daniel 11 verse 21, it says, In his estate shall stand up a vile person, to whom they shall not give the honor of the kingdom, but he shall come in how? Peaceably and obtain the kingdom by, by flatteries. And they're just going to give him the kingdom. They're going to they're allow him to conquer and, and to continue to conquer this world and to set up a false kingdom, the kingdom of the Antichrist. Daniel 11, verse 24. He shall enter peaceably, even upon the fattest places of the province, and, and he shall do that which the fathers have not done, nor his father's fathers. He shall scatter among the, the prey and the spoil and the riches, yea, he shall forecast his devices against the strongholds even for a time. And so, and so this guy has a bow, but no arrows. He gains the kingdom, not through threat of war, but through peace. 
not through force. Number two, he's given a crown. He doesn't possess that crown, but this crown is given to him. And and if we go back to to Daniel chapter 8, we see this is prophesied. It says, in the latter time of their kingdom, when the transgressors are come to a full, a king of fierce countenance and understanding dark sentences shall stand up. And his power shall be mighty, listen, but not by his own power. And he shall destroy wonderfully and shall prosper and practice and destroy the mighty and the holy people. And through his, through his policy, I mean, this dude's a government dude. Also, he shall craft to prosper in his hand and shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. You got to be good, man. To wage war with a motivation of peace. You got to be really crafty to see lives destroyed in the name of peace. And do your homework, by the way. There, there are some political dudes that, that throughout history have had this same type of characteristic and, and were similar in their life to the soon coming Antichrist. Listen, this dude is given a crown his power wasn't his own, but it was given to him. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 says, Then shall that wicked, capital W, be revealed, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth, and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming, even him whose coming is after the working of who? There it is. With all power and signs and lying wonders. And man, listen. This dude will be empowered by the devil himself. He'll have policy. He'll cause his craft to overtake the world. He'll, 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 he'll prosper as a, as a governmental leader. He'll be a policy maker. He'll magnify himself in his heart. And he'll, he'll run on the platform of peace. And through that peace, he's going to destroy many. That's a wicked dude, man. And then, and then number three, he comes conquering. He comes forth conquering. And, and he's the one that sits on this white horse. And again, man, when Christ comes back to, to establish his kingdom, for sure he is going to establish it and defeat his enemies. But what's interesting is this dude has the power to conquer and continue conquering. And what's interesting, and we'll, we'll wind it down here, that's a lot, of, a lot of doctrinal, like, you know, okay, man, that's some deep stuff as we begin to see the tribulation unfolds with the, the establishment of this conquering kingdom on earth rooted in peace that ultimately will lead to destruction of many when you study that word conquering in the bible or a derivative of conquer there's only one other place in the whole bible that it shows up that's in romans chapter 8 and i want to just i want to just man as we come off the heels of beginning it's like whoa dude this this is a wicked dude uh, man, who can you trust in the government? By the way, nobody, okay? Uh, if your political stance isn't King Jesus on his throne, you need a new political stance. So, you know, Trump is not your savior. The Republican Party is not God's party. How many more people can I offend before we get done? Like, like seriously, if it isn't Christ on his throne, you've got the wrong political affiliation. And so this dude comes conquering. And and what's interesting is when you, again, when you compare Scripture with Scripture in the Bible, there's only one other passage that even has the word in it. And it's Romans chapter 8. Let me give it to you. Romans 8, verse 35. 
as Paul is writing to the Romans, he asks this question, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And then he lists seven things that in our mind may be the thing that can somehow move us out of the, the love of Christ in our life. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, right? And it kind of is progressive and then it ends with like our death, right? As it is written, for thy sake, we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. And then, and so it's a rhetorical question. He quotes Psalm 44 in verse 22. And then he gives the answer in verse 37. Nay, in all these things, we are more than conquerors. And, and listen, listen, if that don't get you excited, you just... After everything we just read about the most wicked man, the false Christ who's going to establish his kingdom no matter what on a platform of peace so that he can destroy many, he's called a conqueror. And yet in Christ, bro, listen, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And then Paul says, I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Bro, as much as this dude is a conqueror, we're more. We're more because of the person of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't believe the church goes through the tribulation period. But can I just tell you, as we get close and closer and closer and closer to the rapture of the church and the tribulation beginning, these last days of the church age are probably going to look a lot like the first days of the tribulation. And so there, Paul's writing to Christians in Romans chapter 8 saying that, listen, even as a Christian, you go through tribulation. Not the tribulation, not the great tribulation, not the time of Jacob's trouble, but we have trouble. And man, there's a world system that is against us. There's a world system that is conquering this earth even as we speak. And listen, if you stand against it and for God and with God, you're going you're gonna to suffer some things. You're going to suffer tribulation. You're going to suffer distress. You're going to suffer persecution. You're going to possibly suffer famine and nakedness and peril. And by the way, Paul experienced all those things. As a New Testament Christian, as an apostle, as a church planter and disciple maker, that's what he suffered. And ultimately, he suffered the sword. But you know what? None of those things, none of those things could separate him from the love of Christ. He's a conqueror. And we are conquerors in the person of Jesus Christ. And so, man, just the devotional encouragement today is, listen, know who you are in the person of Jesus Christ. Man, know who you are. And, and listen, when you know who He is, it's really easy to know who you are. Man, you don't have to worry. And listen, the world's only going to go more crazy. I mean, I mean, you ain't seen nothing yet. You ain't seen nothing yet, so come back Wednesday night, and between Sunday and Wednesday, we'll probably have more to talk about. Man, can you believe this happened? I can't, but I kind of can. And in the midst of that, as we enter into the last days, man, and as we get ready for the rapture of the church, and by God's grace, man, it happens in our lifetime. 
Well, it's only going to get harder. And as much as there is a spirit of Antichrist already at work, and ultimately there will be a person empowered by Satan to set up a false kingdom, listen, we're already more than conquerors in the person of Jesus. And I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of Christ. Man, when Paul quotes Psalm 44, verse 22, it's a prayer of Israel asking for God's redemption in the midst of their suffering. Prophetically, it points to the tribulation period. But devotionally, it points to us and our suffering. And we're, we're killed as a sheep all the day long. But guess what? We're more than conquerors. At the end of the day, we're more than conquerors. And that's the, that's the kind of resolve Laodicean, Laodicean Christians need in the last days. Because, man, if you don't remember, the Laodicean church is the last church before Revelation 4 and verse 1 where John is caught up. That's the last church... And Christ's instruction is, bro, you got to repent and you can overcome. Well, to overcome, we need to know we're conquerors in him. And so I hope that's an encouragement to you. It was, it was as I was studying that, I was like, man, where, where do I hang on the rim on, on, like, what do I apply to my life? Well, the truth is we're already more than that. We're more than the most wicked antichrist person. We're more than conquerors through Christ. And I'm thankful. I am thankful. So I hope that's a blessing. Let me pray for us, and then, uh, man, we'll get up out of here. Father, thank you for the morning, and, and Lord, thank you for your promise. And, and Lord, as we, we kind of get back into Revelation, uh, man, we're going to see some crazy things that unfold. Lord, it's all according to your plan. There's nothing that takes you by surprise. Lord, it's all purposeful to get this world ready for your coming. And Lord, thank you that even in the midst of some of that stuff, we have a Bible that we can understand. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light under our path. I don't know how, how people in this world operate without the certainty of the words of truth. God, we have them. And so God, equip us, challenge us as the church of Jesus Christ. Help this local body find our strength in you. That no matter what happens to this physical body, we've already won. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus because of the love that you showed to us through Christ. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. God, we love you. May this truth empower us to be about your business. We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.